when group first starts, they only know me, right? They don't know anybody else. So they look at me when I ask a question. They talk to me when they're giving an answer. But right. as the group starts to get stronger, I start to fade away. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm getting out of the picture. I'm just there to watch them and see how they're interacting and what they're saying. And many times when someone says something in group that they said they would never tell anybody else or maybe it was the first time they ever told anybody something that happened and they say it in group, I observe that. It's wonderful. It's just wonderful. Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org, and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. I'm Scott Schultz, welcoming you to another edition of Stigma-Free Vet Zone. Today, we're visiting with Mary Haupt, who works with veterans through the Veterans Center in Western Wisconsin in the La Crosse area. And Mary, you cover a lot of area with this job, don't you? I do. The La Crosse Vet Center actually covers 52% of Wisconsin. So we are, we're busy on the road or video, whatever, wherever the vets want, wherever we go, we try to connect with everyone. So I did a program with veteran service officers in the vet center's offices a few years ago. And I was really surprised at the coverage area. You said 52%. It goes up to what? Rice Lake in that neck of the woods, north of Eau Claire. Yeah. As far as where I go, and and I mean, I can go there or I, I will generally do videos as I go to Sawyer County. I have veterans in the Hayward area. So for me to go up, that that's as far as I go. There's vets everywhere, but, you know, we can yep. only get so many places, right? So we try. Wausau area, too. Tell us about you a little bit, Mary. What brought you into this work? And for that matter, where were you born and where did you grow up? Oh, boy. How how much time you got, man. But <laughs> I, um, I'll tell you a little bit because people ask me that question a lot because I'm not a veteran. And they're curious about that. And I can say that my father was a veteran, and he absolutely, it's absolutely true. He's an Air Force veteran, still alive. He's 92. He's a Korean War vet. But I was very lucky that he was not, he did not serve in Korea, right? He spent his time in the United States, and he was a heavy equipment operator. He moved around to a few bases to, to do that work. He came from a family of 10. His brothers were all in the military. So World War II, Korea. 
So I think most of them did spend time overseas, except my father did not. Mm-hmm. Now I've got cousins that were Vietnam vets. One of my cousins is still alive. And the other cousin, both, he was an infantry in Vietnam. When he returned from Vietnam, he was a wonderful, great cousin, but he killed himself after mm-hmm. returning after a number of years. So that hit my father very hard. It made my, my dad really mad. I'm a little older here, so watching the Vietnam experience play out on television, I didn't quite understand it. I mean, I wasn't mm-hmm. very, I, you know, about 10 years younger than most Vietnam vets would be on the average. And seeing that, seeing my father get angry, mm-hmm. but he was very kind. It just, war made him angry. He knew yeah. the consequences of that. So regardless, people will say, why are you working for the VA? And I said, well, I'm serving this way. I didn't serve in the military, so I, I'm serving service members and soldiers the way that I can serve. That's why I'm doing it. And I really love seeing people get mentally well after being put in such abnormal situations. How long have you been at this? I went back to school a little later. So I've been at the vet center. I think this is my my ninth year here. So I went immediately from getting my master's and my substance abuse. So I, I'm a substance abuse counselor and licensed professional therapist. I immediately went to the, the VA after graduation. And I can't be anywhere else because when I started here, I knew that I was, I guess, essentially home, that this was what I was born to do and what I was meant to do. Dealing with veterans has a lot to do with trust. Why do you feel like you have that trust? I know you do. I hear other veterans say, I'm willing to talk with Mary. Why is that? If you look at your own life, veterans are are just like everyone else. They're human beings and our only goal in life is to be, you know, I'll ask the guys, guys or women that question, what do you think our purpose in life is? And some people will say, you're guessing to be loved. And I go, well, that's nice. That's great if we have that, but it's really just to be understood. And I'm very curious. I just want to understand that experience in the military for them and how that has affected them. So I'm, I'm curious about that, but I really truly care about that this has impacted the way they live, the way they think, good and bad ways. Curious about that too. So I think that's just a conversation that we have. I read a lot of books and I'm not a a great knowledgeable person. I, with people say, oh, you're an expert in trauma. I go, well, I have trauma in my background, but everybody's unique and and I can understand why people do things the way they do it through some of the work I do. I want to touch on the uniqueness of each individual in a little dab here. But first, the vet center is a unique place, kind of in its own world compared with the VA healthcare system and the benefit systems. You're more advocates for the veterans in some ways, right? Yes, we used to actually, we have outreach. So the the VA in itself, the big VA, I guess, the medical center model is that we have veterans that are our patients, right? And Mm -hmm. we provide mental and and physical health care for them. Now, the vet center model really was to create it in 19, I believe it was 1979 or 1980, because the Vietnam vets had that unique experience. Vietnam was its its own universe. I don't even know how to explain it because it's wrapped up in so many things. A place where they could feel safe, where they could drop in when they needed to because things would just come up as needed. So we are under the big VA, but we have a different experience. So example would be we create our own record keeping system. 
-hmm. because of the nature of what we talk about, the trauma, the moral injury, that's very sacred to those veterans and service members. That's not something that they want everybody to have that access to. So that gives them different access. We are able to take vets out fishing. Yeah. We are able to create a, an event for them and their, their spouses so we can learn from each other. And so that it's those ways. So I would say for myself, when I came here, I learned very quickly that there was a lot of loneliness by veterans in particular, the Vietnam veterans is that they didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. So I created as many things as I could to get veterans to interact with each other, which naturally ended up in groups. And that's where I felt like the healing really began when they learned that their experiences were similar, but they each had a different story. Now, many people, you know, they think about group therapy, like what you see on TV, where you sit in a circle and you pass the mic and, hey, tell me about your traumatic experience. And that's not what that is. Right. We, you know, we sit around and we drink coffee together and we get to know each other. And that stuff sometimes comes out naturally, but it's not a goal of group. It's a goal to just be with people who've walked in the same boots and been in the same country, have the same basic training experiences. So that alone is a, creates a sense of safety and trust for the veteran. Right. Just having that environment is enough to have them start to heal, that therapeutic alliance. I just give them the space and I'm there. Right. You know, I create the space for them. An interesting thing with, if I can call you a facilitator of those peer Mm -hmm. sessions that I've picked up on, and I don't know if this is accurate, but my feeling is that your job isn't to, in quotes, fix anyone, that they will work on their healing on their own with you directing it somehow. Is that kind of accurate? Sure. Come to one of my, my groups and you'll see it. So Yes. So I'm the curi- I ask the questions. I'm the, the questioner. Actually, I'll just, I'm so happy about this. We're just hitting our year anniversary next week of an uh, OEF OIF group, just specifically for those in combat arms. So it would be like 11 Bravos, you know, yeah. um, artillery, those kinds of MOSs. When group first starts, they only know me, right? They don't know anybody else. So they look at me. When I ask a question, they talk to me when they're giving an answer. But right. as the group starts to get stronger, I start to fade away. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm getting out of the picture. I'm just there to watch them and see how they're interacting and what they're saying. And many times when someone says something in group that they said they would never tell anybody else, or maybe it was the first time they ever told anybody something that happened, and they say it in group, I observe that. It's wonderful. It's just wonderful. And that's why these groups are so long standing and, and solid and and people, you know, don't want to miss it. Uh, it. I hope that helps you understand what I how I run yep. a group could be. Yep. I'm not in I don't know anything. They teach me everything. I know nothing. Yeah. I'm just a facilitator with the ears, you know. I'm always looking for new groups to start and the reasons why. So telling you about an Afghanistan-Iraq group that was combat arms, but I, I noticed early on probably, I think it's been about seven years now, and you're a Marine, you better laugh at this one, is that the Marines are different, right? <laughs> and, they, they, and, right? and then, and so, oh, yeah, we're special. Like, you're special, all right. You're super special. 
because very special. So when I, I have a Marine group, and that is my very special group, totally dear to my heart. And we do things like celebrate the birthday, you know, the Marine Corps birthday. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a brotherhood. And it's just a different training. And, and the trust definitely could have a Marine in other groups. But the Marines, I don't know, it's just different. Will you comment to that now? You you bring up <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that different thing. Yeah, and uh, I've been told I'm special in a lot of ways. But that's a whole other route that we can go down. Something I've heard personally in the healthcare system, in the VA system, is that some of us, and maybe that's one of the Marine special things, are not as apt to open up. You have to have that tough guy kind of thing going on. Do you bump into that? Maybe as people mature in general, that you are more apt to open up a little bit, but it's hard to get sometimes a young 25-year, 26-year-old veteran into that mindset that it's okay to talk. It's okay to be vulnerable. And vulnerability is kind of part of all of this, isn't it? Well, that's that you, you said the right word because being vulnerable is scary because what vulnerability does is it allows others to provide you feedback. Mm-hmm. And it can be negative, positive, or neutral, right? I can give you positive feedback if you open up and I can give you neutral feedback and just say, oh, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you, Mm -hmm. right? Or negative. It's like, well, why would you think that? You know, maybe by asking that question, you're saying something about Marines because maybe, maybe, (laughs) maybe it's just that way is that I'm going to be a little less trusting because I have this, I have this brotherhood that that is protecting me. I have this culture that I have, mm-hmm. have now been indoctrinated to, which is great. The military culture is it's a double-edged sword, right? So you yes. get all these fantastic army values, you know, air, mm-hmm. everybody's got their own value system. But then on the, on the other side of the sword is I also have these residual effects from my military experience. We can't say it's all combat trauma, right? Because... Right. Right, because we talk about MST, military sexual trauma, doesn't mm-hmm. have to be in wartime trauma. Neither does a, neither does a, we, we happen to basically serve combat veterans, right? They're DD-214. If they're in a combat theater, that's their eligibility. Military sexual trauma doesn't have that eligibility. Right. So that's why it's sort of implied, you know, that they have PTSD, that PTSD is part of that. That is that it's a residual effect of serving in combat. There's various degrees of that. So if we could call it post-military stress disorder, that might sound better than putting that trauma, you know, post-traumatic because it's a stigma. Like here we are in the stigma-free zone, but there's a lot of ways I, I could go on that, but I'm not going to. When I first started at the vet center and started groups, I would read so much. And I, one of the first documents I ever read was, 10 things your combat vet wants you to know, mm-hmm. right? So here it is. I pulled it out. You can't see it on, on the radio, but um, it was written by somebody at the VA. I'm like, great. I'm going to get in the mind of a combat vet because sure. it says combat vet, right? So there's 10 things, and I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to talk much about it, but I'm like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fact check this. So mm-hmm. I'd bring this to group, and we'd read it out loud, and I'd say to the guys, is this true? Is is this 
is this what you want me to know? Because if this isn't, I want to know what's in, what is it you want me to know? Or pick two of these 10 things and tell me if they're true for you or not true for you. It doesn't matter. Just tell me more about that. And most of the vets that, in fact, almost every group, I do it with all the groups I have, they'll say, well, I, yeah, that this one is true for me and this one's not true for me. So everybody had a different experience, but it helped me understand that experience that combat experience. Well, I'll just, I'll give you one to give you an example. Number four, he's afraid to get attached to anyone, but he cut because he has learned that people you love get killed and he can't face that pain again alone. He may make an exception for his children because it can't divorce him, but that will be instinctual and he will probably not be able to explain his actions, right? So that's true for many vets is that I can't put myself into that position again where I can be hurt. And sometimes just leaving the military, they're so homesick for something that this can be so painful, right? When they first get out, mm-hmm. they're homesick for that. I get it. I, I get that. I understand hope sickness. Yeah. They haven't heard it in that way, you know? So that was new to me. One of the things that I maybe observe or I'm hearing more or experience myself a little bit of is that part of that identity that you're given, there are things uh, that you normally wouldn't do in normal civilian life. You mentioned indoctrination. For good reasons, the military sends you down a, a road of ideals that fit the military's needs. But those ideals, when it comes to normal, in quotes again, life, you might not act that way or think that way. That leads to things like moral injuries. And the other part I said, identity, nearly everybody I've known in the Marine Corps or in the service comes out wondering, who in the hell am I? You don't realize it when you're initially out. But sometimes I I did, and I do to this moment in my old years, realize that I've worked hard on developing an identity that I didn't know even that I was getting when I was 18 years old and enlisted. And the military gave me an identity. They gave me a mission, but then it was over. And I'm on a lifelong search for finding out who I am and what I'm supposed to, and what is my mission? Mm-hmm. The military exactly. gives you an easy route with it. They tell you what to eat, what to wear, and what mission to be on. But that ends. And now we spend our lives trying to figure these things out. Well, you're exactly right. And when you think of the, you know, and I'll say this, the loving arms of the military, right? Or let's say the Marine Corps, <laughs> the loving arms of the Marine Corps. You have this mission, and your mission includes people. Yes. Nothing can be accomplished alone, right? Right. It, nothing, nothing in the military. You cannot do anything alone in there. Mm-hmm. And um, so you you come out and you say, "Where's what's my mission? Well, I could say your mission would be get the best family that you can. Yeah. Whatever it is you want your mission to be, you set your own goals, right? But it's very hard without a team because they're used to running it by a team or somebody starts the, the work and then you, you pick up your piece. Yeah. So, Again, going back to group, and we say, what is what is your new mission? For some of them, you know, just getting out of the the army or whatever, it's like, I don't even know what clothes to pick out. Yeah. Do I wear collared shirts every day, or should I be wearing a T-shirt? Because I already ha- always had a uniform for 20 years, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that is very hard, because it's longer than what most people will, will be in an institution. 
So you go to college for four years, right? Okay. Some people feel like they're an alumni of Wisconsin and they become Badgers and they mm-hmm. wear Badger Wisconsin uniform their you know whole life. Yeah. But for the military, every branch of service says honor, integrity. Okay, well, the rest of the world doesn't know that. Yep. The rest of the world is not using honor, integrity, selfless service. The rest of the world says, work hard for yourself. It's all about you. Me, me, me. And and that's very confusing to someone that has just been indoctrinated to work with each other. So so that is very difficult. Maybe I answered your question, why do we still look for identity? Because the identity of the civilian world is very different from the identity of the military world. Mm-hmm. There's good pieces in both, right? Residual effect, again, is post-traumatic stress, right? Is that now I, I have these issues now that come only from my military service. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't gone into the military, I would not have these issues, right? Moral injury. I could have PTSD from something else, but but there's there's four windows right, that a veteran can have to look out once they get home. They have the post-traumatic stress that they could be feeling. They could have moral injury. And if, if someone in the audience doesn't know what moral injury is, it is actually something that, I mean, I'll, is really messed up, right? So something happened that should not have happened at this point in time. So military sexual trauma is an experience. Someone from your own unit could sexually assault you or torment you or whatever. That's moral injury. Now, these are my, they're not supposed to do that. That's not normal. So you have PTSD, moral injury, grief. Grief is another thing. And then compassion fatigue, which is very common with medics, people that care too much, do too much. All of those four things feel exactly the same, but they're very different in the way we treat them. Yeah. It's crazy. But so the civilian will say, well, they'll just say this person's got post-traumatic stress disorder. No, he's got grief. Mm -hmm. Give this, you know, he's lost people. Even now, guys get out and they say, well, friend just killed himself, motherfucker, you know. And they'll be so mad because these people have been out for 10, 15 years. And that's grief all over again. It's Mm -hmm. triggering everything all over again. Or burnout, moral injury can come, you know, it can rear its ugly head anytime. You get triggered by something and it could be any one of those things. So that's something that I think therapy individual can help identify what would be the best way for this veteran to feel more functioning again or be able to communicate with their family their vulnerability or their issues. They speak different languages though, right? So the spouse, the family, and the veteran speak different languages. They're so close. They're just different dialects. And sometimes the vet centers, I'll just pull us in, we're that negotiator that brings them in the same room and translator. And, and, yes, thank you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. so, I haven't heard or thought about different dialect with family. I keep hearing that family doesn't know what questions to ask and the veteran doesn't know what things to offer. But maybe that's all going on and we just don't understand it. The veteran doesn't understand the family's language and the family doesn't understand the veteran's language. It's a kind of a subtle thing. It's not always talking your heart out. It could be a mood. You know, somebody yeah. can be just have a dark mood and need time, need time alone, you know, and then somebody will misinterpret that language as somebody not wanting to be there or where does anger, anger is displaced. 
I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at something that just triggered me. But, and I hear this a lot from veterans. I lose the message when I have to tell them every detail of everything that surrounds this. Mm-hmm. When I tell you how, then I have to tell you what this is and who this was. And, and sometimes the act or whatever it is that is intrusive memory is very horrible. It's hor- mm-hmm. It's horrible. And they don't want their love. They don't want to hurt their loved ones by telling them that this happened to me or I witnessed this because they don't want them to have that image in their head. So to tell a spouse, you know, this is how you can talk, but don't press for details. Well, tell me about it. You know, understand that if I tell you about it, I don't want to hurt you with it. So it's easier to tell a counselor that understands the military trauma because, yes, it's hard to listen to some of these things. It is. And people say, how could I, I can't tell you that. And I go, I've heard a lot of things. And then how do you sleep at night or whatever? And I'm like, I do because your story is yours. Yes, I'm going to feel for you and I might cry with you in here and that's okay. Or or be mad with you or outraged or whatever. But at the end of the day, doesn't it feel good to get that out of your own body? You know? Yeah. So I wonder sometimes at first it doesn't feel good. That That's me. I've had a nightmare for uh, nearly 50 years over one incident, a non-combat incident uh, involving a body. I get visits. And as I have talked about that over the years, every time I talk about it, the nightmare is there more often for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, in yeah. the long run, it might push it away a little bit. But when it's fresh on my mind, it comes back. And I'm wondering if that's something that we're also frightened about besides scaring our family or putting our families in through something, are we frightened that we're putting ourselves again through something by dredging it up, by it coming up, even though we do have to get it out? And it's better in the long run to get it out. Well, you said a lot of things. Better in the long run to get it out. And yes, when someone first comes in here, I will say, uh, I'll, you know, with, you know, love in my heart, I guess maybe a few sessions in, but I'll say you will feel worse before you feel better. Yeah. And then you'll then it'll start evaporating sometimes out of your body. Whatever it is, your emotions are is it's a this stuff will start to evaporate. And yes, when you do talk about a nightmare, you may have a nightmare. Be be you know, be ready for it. Be mm-hmm. ready for it, understand it. And then sometimes when you have that therapeutic relationship, I'll say, I'm sorry I have to torture torture you again, but apparently you're here because you like to be tortured. But but it's it's joking, you know. But yeah, it, it, yeah. it doesn't feel good to be in counseling. It doesn't. But then it does. But then yeah. it does. And then the next step is, can we be in a group together? Because everyone bucks that. Sometimes it takes two, three years to get somebody to agree. And then they're like, why didn't you tell me that this was going to be so helpful to me? And I go, well, I did. But you weren't ready for it. You weren't ready to receive the message. But now a thing about nightmares, and if, if veterans are listening, what I've learned about nightmares, and I always was interested in dreams because I really think when we let our, when we stop pushing and we get let our unconscious, you know, we can't keep ourselves pushed and when we're sleeping, our unconscious comes out, is that nightmares are two things. They're a reenactment of a skill that we don't want to lose. Because our brain is, you know, so sometimes people are fighting in their nightmares. Like, yep. hey, why do we keep fighting? That, You know, it's all these different things. But they go, oh, 
your brain doesn't want to lose a skill to protect itself mm-hmm. because your value system, our dreams are about our value, integrating our value system with our life. So we may have the same dream over because we want to protect our brothers, right? We're going to fight for them, not because we want to fight, because that dream is saying, I want to protect people that I can protect. And so when we start to talk about how the value system this feels in this fire or rewrite the ending of the nightmare without anyone getting hurt, so we can't kill someone in a nightmare, we can just magically transport them out yeah. away and they can do whatever. But But there's lots of ways we can work with nightmares and it actually works. But nightmares are a sign for you that there's a value system that's really important to you, maybe keeping people alive or that these things shouldn't happen to innocent people. I, I don't even know what it is, but there's a lot of new therapy that's out for nightmares. So if somebody's suffering from that, go to somebody that learned that. They can help you with that too. We're with Mary Hopped of the Vet Center out of La Crosse. Mary, tell us some of the things that people can do to heal. I think the best way to feel better is to recognize that you feel better. And right. a lot of times reading on something and understanding, you know, I'm not the only one experienced this because our emotion and our, it's so quiet. It's so lonely to have sadness, especially right. from, from military is that we're not, we think we're the only one that has experienced loss and mm-hmm. moral injury, stuff that was really messed up. Every time you talk through something, honestly, you process it. So people say, why am I telling this again? I'm not going to make somebody tell a story a hundred times at all. But if they, if it comes up again, and I can generally see that they're processing it as they talk about it. I will say journaling, writing is probably one of the, and you know this from the writing center, is that writing gives you the opportunity to slow your brain down. Yes. And then sometimes when you write, a solution comes forth that you never knew was, was there. Yeah, a secret so, between between you, me, and a thousand people listening. We know somebody who actually preaches that quite heavily and is involved actually with this podcast, maybe the founder of this podcast. Probably, yes. <laughs> is that my is that my cutest to talk about? Yeah, him? yeah. We can oh, talk God, about I like how that out. Michael Michael well, Orban might be listening or he might not be. I'm sure he is. Uh oh. Well that's okay, because he hears me a lot. So it was in 2016 that me not knowing anything about anything, really, right? I I wanted to have a retreat for combat vets, Vietnam Mm -hmm. combat vets mostly, up in at camp, which was called Wisconsin Adventures on Wheels at the time, which became Camp Victory Now. So that was a beautiful area that L. Lamovic had promoted to me to use to help healing for veterans. So I went up there and I checked it out and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just perfect. So I started to put an agenda together for what this retreat would look like. And then it was like, how am I going to get Vietnam vets to agree to go there and learn about PTSD and do it? So my agenda included a lot of time for them to interact with each other and then fun time. So they would hear a little bit about post-traumatic stress and how to deal with it. And then they would go watch a hunting dog demonstration in the pond out there Right. And they would be just like, oh, you know, oh, this is great. <laughs> and then they come back in and, oh, now we've got to listen to this. But it was all healing and all helpful by the end. And they made cigar box guitars, too. Let's just yep. throw that in there. 
So if you go into the bunkhouse or the main part of part of uh, Camp Victory, you'll see a cigar box guitar there. But I didn't know who would be my main speaker. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I've got to have somebody that's is going to, I don't know who it is. So I picked up the book, Sold Out, The Memoir of War and Inner Peace. And I'm kind of a, a hippie myself. And it sounded like hippie language to me. So I read it. And then I realized the person who wrote it was from Wisconsin, West Bend, Wisconsin, right? I tracked him down because I was so impressed with there's poems in there. And at the end of the book is how to handle common responses to trauma and coping strategies for PTSD. Like this book was like a little, here's, here's a little bit of everything. So I called the author up and I started to talk to him. I even thought his phone number was in there. I think it was so accessible (laughs) that he came down. (laughs) <laughs> and he's such a fantastic speaker, as as you know, and he brought many of the Vietnam veterans to tears yeah. with his compassion and his heart and his understanding of what it was. And it truly really helped them. They still talk about this retreat and, and Michael. And then Michael and I have been really friends ever since. I yeah. learned a lot from him and, and he tells me a lot of stuff. Right. <laughs> and I'll say something and he'll say, Mary, take a deep breath. Yeah, I know. So that's how I know him. And I want to thank him so much for allowing me the opportunity to speak on this podcast and share my thoughts. And if there's any other topic you would like me to speak on, I'd be happy to. It's just, yeah, this is it. Okay. Just thank you so much, Michael. Yep. That's Michael Orban. We're talking about the founder of the Orban Foundation and this stigma free vet zone podcast. Mary, you mentioned the veterans retreat, that veterans retreat. So often we talk about the Vietnam veterans and for good reason, because until the mid eighties, this kind of stuff wasn't even recognized. Younger veteran. And when I say younger, younger than me, at least, who was probably 40 ish years old, was throwing about thanks to Vietnam era veterans for pushing along the healing effects, the healing of it all. How well are we older veterans doing with that? And is the message getting to the younger veterans? And are the younger veterans opening themselves yet? And are they accessible to it yet? We know how that goes. We talked about it off the top here, how maturity does something with you and age and things start mixing in your mind and you say, I don't like this anymore and I can maybe help myself here. Are we doing a good enough job as older folks and are they opening themselves to it? That's a lot of questions in one. <laughs> one uh, what? What are you asking me? No, I, I'll say two things. I'll be yes, because I work with so many veterans, obviously, over the years. And I love when there's an aha moment or a eureka moment or whatever by all. Mm-hmm. So, so a younger veteran will say in a group, oh, those Vietnam vets, they're my heroes. They're my heroes. I'm just like, well, you would you like to, would you like to have me and should I invite one to our group sometime? Would you do that? They're, yeah. they're, they're in awe. So please, yeah. Vietnam veterans listening, they are in awe of your your courage. They 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 feel like they could not do what you have done. They're in awe of your bravery and your courage, despite the fact that some of you did not volunteer for this this time. And then the Vietnam vets are so humble and they'll say, oh, those young guys got it rough. They had mm-hmm. some rough stuff, you know, and I'll say it's all rough. It's all rough. 
and, and you're here to love and support each other because that's truly what I believe. So I have made these connections. I've had both happen where a younger guy speaks to the Vietnam group and the Vietnam vets come into the, the younger guy group and they see that over time things change. So yeah. younger vets are coming in for services and the older Vietnam is like, don't wait till your retirement age. Work on this stuff now. Don't let your family dissolve. Don't let your kids, you know, hate you. And, you know, don't, don't do that. And they're not. If they get the message and they understand it, they will use it. There's still people that don't, you know, no thank you. And some of them can do things on there. They have the support or whatever. But, yeah. but I think generally now we're seeing more Persian Gulf mm-hmm. uh, veterans come in and then also, um, so the Iraq war was 20 year war, basically, right? Right. So the, the youngest Iraq war vet probably would be about 30-ish. Yeah. They could be 30 to 35 and, and be, but the oldest ones could be 50 in their early 50s right. that been to Iraq. So when I see the, the young ones and the older ones in the OEF, OEF group, because it's such a wide range of ages, how the, even the ones in the, in the Iraq war help the younger ones and understand right. Time will take care of some of this, but you have to do the work. The work has to be done. That's really what I see. I used to think that when we, when I was working with, you know, th- now this is where I'm going to go with grief because grief is always wrapped around with a lot of this stuff is mm-hmm. I, I took this certification on grief, grief therapy because I always thought post-traumatic stress was, it, it's complicated grief, right? So it's true. It's a diagnosis. It can be a com- complicated grief. It's an anxiety disorder. Anxiety is worry about the future, right? Yep. We're not going to worry. You know, we can't be depressed about the future. We're depressed of the past and we worry. We have anxiety about the future. So it's post-traumatic stress is everything all wrapped up. We don't have to accept what happened to us is for, when we talk about trauma. We don't have to be neutralized to that those emotions. Really what we, we have to do at some point in our in our life when when bad things happen to good people is that we reconcile here is myself during this time and here I am now right I'm using you know this is a radio podcast so I have both hands up my old self has now reconciled some people I'll never accept the fact that they spit on us you know and the way they treated us like and I'll never accept okay but can you reconcile that because that emotion is still causing a lot of stress in your body and you don't need any more stress dude because agent orange is still coming back you know it's still coming out in different Mm -hmm. ways so so that's the reconciliation is that we're aiming for in everything that we do is how can you reconcile that this event happened and not let it impact your life in, in such a negative way in your relationships in your work in your free time what can you do for that switching gears when you said something about how never did we think you could go on a retreat right Right. so one of the things i've recently and i knew this i knew this in my heart though now i see it in action is that there's a lot of veterans groups out there that are created to take vets fishing to go hunting we go on a kayak trip right we have a retreat here and a retreat there and that's great and there's a lot of healing that's done with those and more power to them you know, I'm just so grateful so many people want to do this, but one in particular, and I'm not promoting this in of itself, just the concept of it is that is the wild ops group would, and I've had people go on this now for four trips, I think, would take uh, vets out fly fishing. So it's sort of like the 
Zen and the art are motorcycle riding. Like so, fly. Mm -hmm. It's not the fly fishing. It's about the. It's about the camaraderie, right? Okay. But what they did was brilliant in there, is that in this week period of time, the veteran was given a half hour to talk about his story, whatever that was. Mm -hmm. It could be childhood. It could be what was like life after you were in the military. It could be your military stuff. But they gave them the space to talk. And then they gave a half hour to have the others ask questions because that still needs to be done. Even if you're having a great time fishing or yep. doing whatever, you still need to have that connection in that deep way. And I really believe the high ground is doing that too with their retreats. They're giving <laughs> them mindful activities, but yet allowing that veteran female, male, the ability to to share their story because it's not finished if their story hasn't somehow came out and they've gotten the love and the support and the understanding, right? Because it's all about being understood of those that are around them. The high ground is a holy place. I, I shouldn't say holy, but but truly for me. Spiritual. Spiritual. Yeah. Spiritual place of understanding. It's understanding. If you see mm -hmm. someone there, you are understanding this person is there for a reason. That's what it's about. You mentioned the waiting until retirement. I've been bumping into more veterans, older veterans, even older than me, who are of retirement age and beyond, who say retirement, it's the moment that the realization really settles in, that you have the time to think. You knew you were just getting along through life, and now the reconciliation time is here, that mm -hmm. you know that boy, these have been affecting me. You realize that, number one. And number two, you say, why in the hell did I wait until this long to get some therapy, to get some help, to get into a peer group, what have you? Like you mentioned, thank goodness the younger vets are there too uh, to help even those people along. It goes both ways, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Yeah. So, and hey, as long as there's an awareness, because some people aren't even aware. I feel like anybody that steps in, it's a brave, it, it truly is a brave thing to step in a counseling office. Yeah. And some, for some people going to the VA and I, for Vietnam vets would be the last place they would go get help. Right. Cause that's right. where they sometimes did not get the treatment that they, they needed, but it's different now. It's different yeah. now. It's got a culture of true, truly those we care about our veterans and we don't want anyone to suffer. If somebody came here and I was not the therapist for that person, well, I would want them to tell me, you know, I, I would want that, that to, you know, keep yeah. trying, try something else. There's lots of different tools. Um, that's why whole health is very, you know, can, you know, sometimes it's just a couple different equine therapy, service dogs. Guitars yeah. at the vet center guitars, and at the yeah. high ground. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I could talk about guitars too, but that is absolutely true is, is what one path someone goes down. It could be a different path for somebody else, but we're all going in the same direction. And that's understanding this military experience impacted my life, good and bad, both at the same time, right? You see the strength of people. You see people that have high integrity and then here you're, you know, put in an abnormal situation where it's just messed up, you know, yeah. and when I'm talking about war, you know, because that's that's hard. Mm -hmm. That's what we see. It's mainly, you know, mostly combat vets. Now I'm going to insert my piece because I don't know how much time you have. Have you ever heard of post-traumatic growth? No, I will admit really? to not doing that. 
uh, not no, I I haven't. Oh, okay. Tell so me about we it. Measure, we measure post-traumatic stress symptomology, right? Sure. Have you ever taken an assessment that says, on a, I'll just repeat it: disturbing memories, thoughts, and images of a stressful experience. Not at all. A little bit, moderately, quite a bit, ex- extremely, right? right? So sure. that's that's the post-traumatic stress cluster of symptoms, right? Sure. Okay, great. So then we measure that six months down the road, and it can go from extremely to not at all. But post-traumatic growth is different. There's a post-traumatic growth inventory. It kind of works on, not on the symptomology of post-traumatic stress. What did I gain from that trauma? What did that experience in, in, gain for me? Here's an example. 21 questions in five different areas that you measure, personal strength, new possibilities, improved relationships, spiritual growth, and appreciation for life. It measures these and these questions. So I can better, well, here's one, I can better appreciate each day, rank it from zero to five. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a greater sense of closeness with others. I'm more willing to express my emotions. Now these are the strengths that can come from trauma, which we know can. Right. You have a near-death experience, you can come out of that and say, I'm never going to, you know, I'm always going to appreciate a hot cup of coffee, you know, I drank crap right. and, you know, whatever. Again, I'll never not. And um, you, t- you, touch and the, go- you touch the stove's burner, you're not going to touch that t- stove burner again. Right, right. exactly. There you yeah. go. That's, that's even better because this is what we should be doing with our vets. And I do it in my group. So, okay, we're going to go through the inventory. You take this inventory for yourself or pick one or two that really absolutely happen is true for you after your time in combat. Maybe, maybe not, I can more clearly see that it can count on people in times of trouble. Yeah. It might be, it might be the opposite, but if there is no scoring that goes with this, this is, this is a reflection back because if we don't know where we've been, how do we know how we feel better? And people will say to me, am I getting better, Mary? You know, like, Hey, do you, what do you think? And I said, well, do you feel good when you leave this office? Yeah. How many hours do you feel good when you leave this office? Oh, oh, I, I feel pretty good. You know, you know, when I, so I said, you're doing your self-assessments yeah. to me. If you feel better, you're doing better. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in recovery from your trauma. This is, this is, I hate to say it. I hate to say this to them, but you must take care of yourself to keep yourself in recovery from trauma. Looking at, the positive side of it, of the growth. I recall heading out of the Marine Corps. I was raised on a farm, farm kid. And when I walked out of the Marine Corps, uh, looking for a job in, of all things, journalism in newspapers, it was kind of a slam dunk. You walked into an office and they looked at you and they said, well, first of all, you're a, a farm kid with an, a work ethic. I don't know if that's true. My father would probably say otherwise when when I was young, but you're a veteran. And that was a very positive thing at the time. For the most part, if you were looking, going through a job interview, there was a chance that that was a positive thing that they saw. You got good stuff out of the military service and your time in service. This growth thing is big. I like that, Mary. Well, it's absolutely true. And I think you touched on it is that is you, you came out with a different set of values or they reinforce your values right you said farm kid marine corps right so yeah do your job you know make your you know why do they teach you to make your bed 
it's not right. to teach you to make your bed, it's to teach you to be consistent, you know. That's why veterans are looked at as, as a plus in most mm-hmm. in most em- employers. So they'll show to work, on, be at work on time. But those who suffer may also sometimes call in sick because they can't right. get sleep, right? So if a, a veteran-friendly employer knows that, then that's, that's a very kind employer because they, they know what they have. They know they're getting a good worker that needs some time sometimes. Right. Final kind of question. If there's something in your time with the groups that you were surprised at and that we really need to give attention to, for me, it was MST, working with groups, the prevalence of that and the continued prevalence of that. Is is there anything that kind of set you off and threw you back a little bit and said, wow, we really have to give that attention? Yeah, I, I'm surprised. I am. I sometimes I'm surprised and challenged every day by what I hear. And it's it. Remember, we were doing spouse counseling, couples mm-hmm. count. We and we do so much. I think you maybe knew what was in my my mind is that you you were talking about military sexual trauma. That is very hard because that's a moral that's a moral injury. Right. And that's a and that's PTSD and that's that's being let down by a place you thought you might have a career with. Yeah. Or you were part of this great thing and then you weren't. Yeah. And that's very hard. That's very hard for males and females to say, I wanted this. This was what I wanted to do. And now and, and it just it just didn't something changed. It got messed up. I don't know how yeah. other way to say it. And that that is hard. Sometimes I can hear that. Well, what is sexual trauma, right? Well, it's it's harassment. It could be rape. It could be violent rape. It's mm-hmm. anything. We deserve to give our service members, and they deserve to give each other the same respect that we would give anyone else. That's, that's very hard for me sometimes to hear. But again, I see growth. I see growth in there too. So. I think growth is a good word. Like you said, we're going to hear a lot about it, I hope. Mary, well, thanks for joining us on the Stigma-Free Vet Zone. I, I really appreciate your time and I appreciate your work. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and thanks to Michael again. Okay. Yep. As always here on the Stigma-Free Vet Zone, we're going to close by reminding you that if you find yourself in any kind of mental crisis, please pick that phone up and dial 988 prompt one that will get you right to a veteran service person who's going to help you for everybody here at the stigma free vet zone thanks for listening i'm scott schultz thank you for listening to the stigma free vet zone podcast your feedback is welcomed and encouraged You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War, by Michael Orban. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.